Hello, hello. My name is Dr. Rachel Gainsborough, and I am obsessed with all things short-term rentals, revenue streams, and helping you navigate your career, real estate, and your busiest and most wonderful seasons of life. I'm an immigrant, a pharmacist, a wife, and a mom who took one guest room rental and turned it into a multi-property seven-figure real estate business, which has also landed us on TV. I'll teach you the real secrets and everything you need to build a short-term rental business that you love. I discuss the hard topics, mistakes I've made, and the mistakes others have made so you don't have to make them for yourself. Financing, automations, acquisitions, low occupancy, scaling, and building your team all while balancing your life are all subjects to be discussed here. Consider me that one best friend you can come to with your short-term rental business questions. So grab your coffee, get comfortable as you get ready to learn and grow with me. This is the Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor podcast. I'm super excited to come at you with my Ask Me Anything session. So welcome, welcome everyone. So really excited to have each and every one of you here with me. We have been getting a lot of questions about our short-term rental slash medium-term rental that was featured on Netflix. And I just wanted to come in here and just answer everyone's question. Just been like 30 to 40 minutes or so answering everyone's question. So I do have a few questions that were sent to me. I wanted to go ahead and knock those out first and then you guys but you know what let me just introduce myself if we haven't yet met my name is Rachel I am a healthcare professional by training however I am in the short-term rental space some of you call it Airbnb some of you call it verbos, but pretty much short-term rental mid-term rental space and so we have a mix of properties And I wanted to share with you a little bit of our story and how we ended up on this journey that featured, landed us, essentially landed us on Netflix, because a lot of you have been inquiring. So inquiring minds wanted to know. I'm just super excited because this is a show that was essentially filmed last July. We were casted back in, I want to say April or May of 21, and we were filmed in July of 22, and my husband and I were the ones who were casted. We can be seen on episode number four, like at the eighth minute marker, okay? And so this is really a show that's like real estate meets shark tank, right? Like how cool is that? I like shark tank. I love real estate. And so this was absolutely a really fun show to do. So there were other homeowners from across all of the U S that were essentially pitching their property for sale, whether it was their own home or an investment property that they owned. So they pitched it right there on international TV and the four tycoons were there in order to either put in an offer or identify whether or not it was a good fit. So the tycoons were the CEO at the Corcoran Group, you know, Barbara Corcoran. We had the Redfin CEO, Brandon Copeland, a former NFL football player. So for those of you who've been watching football, (laughs) he was one of the tycoons. And then Denisha Rigster, she's an influencer. She used to run the Oprah show own, I believe it was called. 
And so, yeah, she's also an investor and her big thing is investing in people, investing in women. And she also has an Amazon a DSP program as well as some short-term rentals. So, so when it was our turn, we had the opportunity to pitch a property. And so this, the property that we pitched was actually property that we'd purchased in town local to us. And we were looking to position it really as a three-generation home. Still was trying to convince mom and dad to move in with us. Adults are going to do their thing. And their jam was more along the lines of they wanted to stay down in Miami. So <laughs> that's their thing. So we had set it up as a short-term rental slash medium-term rental. Essentially, we once we launched a property, and for those of you who are in short-term rentals, and for those of you who know my mantra is, if you are not using a dynamic pricing tool, you are leaving money on the table. And so that's one of the core tenets of our program. You must use a dynamic pricing tool because the AI in the dynamic pricing tool can be very powerful. And you don't want to necessarily just set it and forget it, right? You do need to train it. You need to update it. So essentially what it does is when you turn the dynamic pricing tool on, it would make make sure there's a variation in your nightly rate. So for instance, your Monday night rates should not be the same as your Friday or Saturday night rates, right? So it's really important. And it needs to take into consideration multiple things, not just your, you know, what they project based on previous year's data, but it needs to take into consideration what's happening right now, okay? So for instance, if hotel occupancy is low, and there's no vacancy. And for instance, if you're in a compression market where there are concerts and all of those things, events, major meetings, conferences, or whether you're in a vacation rental market, right? It's going to be really important that your nightly rates are reflective upon what's going on at the time. And that's why I absolutely love the dynamic pricing tool that I use, okay? It takes a look at all of those things. It takes a look at, you know, if there's a big concert happening in the area, it will increase that night, very similar to like a revenue manager, okay? But again, it's not set or forget it. So here's what happened with this particular property. And this is why I think it was selected to be a part of the show. This property was our second short-term rental. We had set it up. And we're in the process of onboarding a whole new cleaning team and ramping it up because it was a different type of property and a different type of guest that we're looking to serve. And so once I turned on the dynamic pricing tool, my expectation was that, okay, this property is probably going to yield somewhere around eight or $9,000 a month. So I thought it was going to be really juicy like that. Dare I even imagine <laughs> five figures, right? Little girl from Haiti, there's no way I would, you know, even dream of it being in the five figures per month range. But I was thinking, okay, maybe 8,000 or 9,000, which was already, you know, off the wall and <laughs> just really outrageous, to be honest with you. So I turn on the tool. I set the minimum nightly rate as a 30 night minimum, which is not what we usually do. We like the two night minimums, but I set it as a 30 night minimum just to test it out. 
to train it and to have a little bit of breathing room to ramp up our cleaning team. So once I turned it on, I kid you not, the dynamic pricing tool, and those of you who've listened to me on podcasts, you heard the story already, so brace yourself. <laughs> once I turned it on, the, the dynamic pricing tool uh, listed the property for 39 minimum at $28,000. And I was like, okay, this is clearly wrong. Let me go ahead and turn you off to see what I can do to train you. I was going to, you know, reduce the ceiling, reduce the floor price. You know, there are so many little levers you can pull on the back end of the dynamic pricing tool. So that was the goal was to adjust it. So I was going to pull those levers, right? And so I saw the 28,000. I said, absolutely not. This is ridiculous. Let me turn it off so that I can pull the levers in order to, you know, train it to get it to be somewhere reasonable. Cause who's going to book a 30 night at $28,000, right? It was like in the middle of, I want to say spring or something like that. So I went ahead and I was about to turn it off. Next thing you know, it gets booked. Okay. It gets booked at the 28,000. And I was like, whoa, what just happened? Like, is this a glitch? You know, like what is going on here? Cause this is absolutely ridiculous. And so I looked up who was booking it and it seemed legit. It went through and the rest is history. That month it booked for 28K. The following month, it booked for 21K, then 15K, and it averages about 22K. And this is a house that we had purchased for 462,000. And you know, I'm going to spill the tea. We used a 5% down program that was available locally to us at the time for a second home. We leveraged that. I don't see that program anymore. It was actually created by like a family office, a group of, you know, uber wealthy physicians who created this bank essentially. And so they lent to us at 5% down. For those of you who are all in on arbitrage, I hear you. It's an amazing strategy for cash flow. We walked into this house, I want to say with no more than 21, 22K as a down payment. But for any of you who know me, you know, I love a low down payment so that I can have cash reserves, you know, in case something goes wrong, you got to be able to mitigate risk and cash reserves helps me to do that. So was able to go in at a really low entry point mortgage was at about $2,500. This home averages 22,000. And that's when the casting company mystic arts reached out to us and air DNA reached out to us through Mystic Arc saying, okay, this house is definitely generating a lot of revenue. Would you consider selling it? And the rest is history. So you guys, again, we were generating, I think we'd made up until that point over six figures and purchased it for 462, got a cash offer essentially for 725,000, I want to say less than a year later. 
However, <laughs> you know, I did make some updates to the subject property and I countered and I said, can we get a little closer to 900,000? So for those of you who haven't watched this spoiler alert, I will let you watch the rest and you will see that the rest is history. So the questions that I've been getting asked are what makes a luxury property? Are travel nurses, do I teach you? Many of you know, I do teach other medical professionals how to get into short-term rentals. Do I teach about travel nurses and how do you stay fully booked? Where were we filmed? How much were we paid? Did we meet any stars? So those are some of the questions that I already have been asked. Here is the first question. So where were we filmed? Okay, so there were two filming locations, okay, for our segment. We were filmed on site, on property. So at the subject properties location. And then we were flown out to... Albuquerque, New Mexico, and filmed at the Netflix studio in New Mexico. And that studio is where they filmed Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Okay. So we got to film on that set, which was very interesting. And guys, by the way, I'm still under NDA for certain things. So I will do my best to answer as much as I can without breaching my NDA. Okay. Next question is, did you meet any stars? You know what? I think Nina Parker is probably the closest that we got to meeting a star. So she is the host of the show and she's on E! Danielle. Denisha Richter also is another star. She's she's the host of Oprah's show, OWN, I think it's called. So I don't do too much TV. So this is all very interesting to me. For someone who doesn't watch much TV yet, I was on TV. All right. So the next question is, what makes a luxury short-term rental property? Okay, so that is a great question. So when it comes to modern luxury, many of you have heard me on my soapbox, but hey, I'm going to beat the same drum over and over again, as long as it's true and it's accurate, right? So when it comes to modern luxury, guys, it is not necessarily about the accumulation of things, right? We don't need like a gold toilet or gold doorknobs or any of that. Okay, when we were when we are working to accommodate the luxury guests, what they're looking for are my three C's. Okay, my three C's are convenience, connection, and communication. Okay, so convenience as they're checking in, there's nothing that will kill the vibe more than having someone fumbling through the front door, trying to check in. They're going through the lockbox. Everything's falling apart. That is just a whole, like, that's not a vibe. You cannot market it as luxury. If you have your guests fighting for their life, trying to get into the front door, convenience, convenience, convenience. Okay. So there are some home automation systems you want to make sure that are dialed in so that it's really convenient for them to enter and exit the property. That is the first impression. The first impression is your guests entering into the door. If there is friction for them to enter the property already, like it's like you just kill the vibe. Okay. So we do not need to break the bank to create that luxury feel, that concierge feel, okay? So the next thing is communication. From the moment they are inquiring about the property all the way till they are driving through the property, the communication from place to place needs to be complete and cohesive, okay? So if they message you and they say, hey, I'm looking to book your space, 
How far is this space away from the BMX track? Say they're coming for, you know, a, I don't know what they call those competitions, you know? So how, there's a tennis center. How far is it from the tennis center? Yeah, we love our automated replies, our automated responses, right? But that is your moment to take a breather and actually listen and answer the guest's question. I know this sounds basic, but sometimes we over-automate our messaging and then we miss the actual question. They're asking you about distance. So your canned response of, thank you for your inquiry. We are located in city center. Look forward to, you know, hosting you. Go ahead and book your stay. That canned response is not going to be adequate enough to respond to the question, right? So once you've responded, you start to make that connection. You start to give them that warm and fuzzy feeling as though if they come to your space, you're gonna take care of them. Then the communication continues. You wanna understand the nature of their visit. You know, So if you're in a vacation rental area, are they there for a retreat? Are they there for you know family vacation? Are they there for a business retreat? Are they there for a mastermind retreat? So what is the purpose of their stay? Okay, so the communication is really important. If you're in a suburban area, guess what? They could be visiting to train at the local plant or something, right? Or they could be there to visit family, someone's 80th birthday, right? Or they could be there for a wedding or a funeral. Your tone, the conversation has to be according to that specific situation. Basics, but guys, I see so many people in my community miss out on that. And that is a low hanging fruit right there. Okay. So we covered convenience. We covered communication. The last thing is, and we didn't really cover everything deep dive, but I'm just giving you an overview. The last thing is connection. The luxury traveler, they want to have those Instagrammable moments. Do you have a feature wall that they could stand in front of and take a photo that says, you know, did you see Shoshana's house? Fort Lauderdale, she has the big sunburst and the umbrella and the pool table. Is there a feature wall so that they can take a photo to show everyone where they're at? That's what it's about. They want to have these Instagrammable moments. It doesn't have to break the bank to create that Instagrammable moment for them, okay? So they want to connect with nature. They want to connect and live like a local. They want to see what it really feels to live like a local. Otherwise, they can go to a generic Hilton hotel that looks the same in Arizona as it does in Texas, as it does in Georgia, right? It's like <laughs> all of those paintings, they came from, like they just printed it all out, but you want them to have an authentic experience. So if I'm in New Mexico, you know, those tapestries that are woven, you know, you want to really give them a feeling and a taste of what it is to, to live like a local. They want to connect with the others that are in their party. Okay. Say they're traveling with family or friends, or it's a girl's outing or a guy's outing. They want to connect with those they're traveling with. So have you curated a space that they could sit around a fire pit and connect that, you know, you have enough place settings for them. You say you host 11, 
but you only have enough seating for five, what are we doing? So connection is really important. So those are my three C's. There's more to it than that, but essentially that is what I call a property that we're setting up to be a luxury property. There's design. We know the king size bed is the default luxury travel bed period, right? We know about natural fiber linens. So that's something I talk about all the time. Okay. Someone asked, do you teach about travel nurses? And so this is so good. This is one of my favorite questions because I do have midterm rentals in the suburban area. And so whenever people hear about midterm rentals, they think about travel nurses, but I do not serve travel nurses. Unfortunately, I love them to pieces. My sister's a travel nurse, but I do not serve travel nurses because they are super, super frugal. My sister would tell you they'd rather sleep in their BMW than pay above market rents. The reason they're traveling is to take that whole bag and bring it home. They're not looking to, you know, have their mortgage behind and then go and stay in this luxury space and spend all of that travel nurse money, you know, on this luxury space. They're not, that's not what they're looking for. They will rather pile it on and share if they have to and to reduce costs but they are not my avatar. My midterm rental avatar are those families and guests that are displaced from their home due to some type of catastrophic event happening to the property. And so we get paid primarily by the insurance company, the temporary housing agencies that has to house these individuals who are in the higher end homes, but they are displaced due to a fire, a flood, a, a pipe burst, and so on and so forth. All right. So the next question is, how do you stay fully booked? Okay. So this is my favorite question because it stumps everyone every single time. For those of you who are long-term landlords, I'm going to need you to come back to me if you're multitasking. If you are a long-term landlord, okay, and if you have long-term landlord mindset, this is a whole different game here. Short-term rentals, mid-term rentals is very different. So when it comes to short-term rentals, like my two-night minimum properties, I am not looking to stay fully booked. I love me some vacancies because these are larger properties. And so after you've been doing it for a number of years, you start to recognize, okay, where is my biggest return on investment? Where's my biggest revenue point? And you can really pinpoint it. And so for me, it's at a 65% occupancy rate is where I find my sweet spot. Okay. And so I know this is going to be contrary to popular belief, but here's why we have larger homes, five to eight bedrooms on average. And so our sweet spot is around 65% occupied. Okay, now if I had a one bedroom studio where I'm driving, driving occupancy, right? I would want to be way higher, like maybe 90, 95% occupancy, but 65% is my sweet spot because that gives me with the turnarounds, you got to take into consideration your turnarounds with the maintenance requests. You got to take into consideration your maintenance requests. We're just now building a property on the beach that is a larger home as well with a carriage in the back and a pool, but all of the previous homes were not very new, right? So they're going to have some loose, you know, uh, things that we need to tighten up in between cleanings, in between turnovers. So to have enough margin, to have enough space, to have enough time to get that property in tip top shape, okay? We need that margin. We need that breathing room because here's what happened. 
I learned this the hard way. I was driving occupancy to bring it up to 80%, 85% just driving occupancy. How do you drive occupancy? The number one way to drive occupancy is to reduce your nightly rate. So now our nightly rates reduce. We are not getting the guest avatar that we are seeking to get, number one. So that's already a problem. Number two, now we are starting to encounter damage to the property. Number three, we don't have enough time to repair the damage. And number four, we're giving refunds. No. <laughs> I rather that bad boy sits empty than to attract the wrong guests, than to attract problems and repairs and then refunds. Okay. So it's better off sitting empty than occupied when you count the cost of what occurs if you're driving occupancy on these five to eight bedroom type properties. Okay. So that is my story in terms of short term rentals for these larger properties. But when it comes to midterm rentals for these larger properties where you're hosting these midterm insurance guests, they're paying close to your Airbnb rates, right? They're there long, I, essentially some of them I consider it long-term. We've had guests whose home encountered fires staying with us for 11 months. I have a client who has a guest who's been there for two years, okay? And this is midterm rental. And so when you when it comes to occupancy, that is fully occupied. You know, I think with some of with one of our midterm rentals, there were two days of vacancy in the last 12 months, two days of vacancy in the last 12 months. Okay. So I hope that helps. But if you're looking to drive bookings, understand number one, what is your sweet spot? You don't need to be hundred percent booked. Okay. Being 100% booked is not a good thing. You don't need to be 100% booked. Understand what is your sweet spot and then work on getting there. So it's going to be a balancing act. Okay. All right. So I hope that answers some of those questions. Do you think Peachtree City is still a good market for SDR? So that's a great question. So I like it. You know, it is in my own backyard. I'm keeping a post on some of the regulatory changes. There are some regulatory changes right now, but I am keeping an eye on it for sure. One strategy that we have been employing there is the midterm rental strategy. Until the dust settles on the regulatory changes, I would not be able to recommend wholeheartedly to get into Peachtree City. There are a lot of markets out there. So be sure to look around. Do you go and buying a home prime as a primary short-term rental and go and buying as a midterm rental? What characteristics do you look for? I will tell you this. I go in looking for short-term rental, period. My ideal property is a short-term rental, period. However, the midterm rental strategy is one that I stumbled upon. And I really do like that strategy as well, because one thing that I do teach is how less is more. How do you create that margin and th those pockets of rest, you know, as being a doc mom with a whole husband, two boys and three dogs, you need those pockets of rest. And so for me, midterm rental turned out to be a phenomenal strategy and a phenomenal pocket for rest. I don't go all in looking for midterm rental, but there's definitely a play there that you can take into consideration. A couple of things, you want to understand what 
are the claims that are happening in a particular location. You want to know the frequency of those claims? I, you know, I would think. So I know for me, unfortunately, there are a lot of claims due to fires and I don't live in a forest fire area. I would imagine those areas that do encounter a lot of forest fires will, you know, be impacted, but we have a lot of accidental fires that are owner, you know, the owner of the family unintentionally have created. And so right now we're hosting two families with fires. Unfortunately, there was a big fire that was set intentionally at the local Walmart. And then we have a team that came in who is working on uh, repairing that Walmart and you know, spaces are booked till the end of the year. At least we have no ETA on when that Walmart is opening back up. If you look up the news, you're going to see it. Unfortunately, it was like a youngster and some kind of TikTok situation is what I read. So I don't know all the details behind that, but the fires are so prevalent. Okay. But when it comes to being competitive as a midterm rental, what I have found is that those communities with those REITs, like those larger chain apartments. Okay. So for those of you who don't know what a REIT is, it's like a chain apartment essentially, right? Like I know here we have Bainbridge manages one, Camden is another, like, like 200 unit, like really big apartments. The workflow is such that when that individual submits a claim, their home, you know, has burnt down or a portion of their home has burnt down. The first step is that those individuals are placed in a hotel. Okay. So they place them in a hotel for a couple of nights. Then the insurance activates the temporary housing agency, and they're looking for a space for them. They're looking for a home. If they're a smaller family or an individual, who's coming from say a, a condo or they're coming from, you know, one or a two bedroom home, they're going to place them in one of these REITs potentially because they have a partnership with them. So they'll be in the hotel for a few days. The insurance adjuster is going to work on their behalf. Then they'll place them in one of these REITs because the REITs, they typically have studios, one bedroom, two bedrooms, some have three bedrooms. And I've heard of four bedrooms, which is rare but they're going to place them in one of these REITs because some of these properties are already furnished or they could quickly furnish these properties in a relatively short period of time. 48 hours, they leverage a company here in Georgia called Court, C-O-R-T, and 48 hours, that house is furnished. That individual can go into that one or two bedroom unit and they're good to go. So for me, and what has kept us in the blue ocean, like we're not in a feeding frenzy. When people are asking about com competition, saturation, we do not compete. We do, we, there's no saturation for us. It's because our product is unique. Typically, again, these larger homes do not compete with these REITs, okay? And they don't compete with the hotels either. You have some extended stay hotels, right? So a comparable hotel for the standard of living that these individuals would be accustomed to. And what the insurance typically would select is like a, like a Hilton. So like a home to suites or Marriott residence in. So they could place them in those types of units for an extended period of time. 
That's why I don't invest in these one or two bedroom properties, right? Because you have your hotels that could probably fit the bills kind of not all the way, right? You have your REITs or these multifamily residential units that can also fit the bill, right? So when I am in the five to eight bedroom range, I just do my best to go in there and stay in there. It's to avoid competition. There's no competition. So it might be just me and someone else, right? If that, at one point when I was looking, it was only our properties that were that size. And so, yes, you really avoid a lot of competition when you are focused on, you know, being a unique property. So we're outliers. Okay. So the larger homes will definitely be a great asset to have for these companies. I remember a family of 10 asking me, you know, what, can you imagine what it's like, you know, to cook for a family of 10 in a hotel? And honestly, I can't, you know, that is tough. That is really tough. And so, although you may not have all of the things. We had a family book our six bedroom home. They're coming from an 11 bedroom home, 11 bedroom home. So it's not going to be, you know, the same, but we were the closest property that would meet their expectations. How much to rent to nurses, how to calculate cash on a midterm rental. That is a great question. So when it comes to midterm rentals and nurses, I always say, everyone knows, I say travel nurses are the mythical creature that everyone wants to serve, but lo and behold, surprise, they are so frugal and I'm here for it. I do not blame them one bit. Travel nurses are super frugal. And so how much to pay for a travel nurse? What you need to understand is what are the contract rates for those travel nurses for a particular market? And you can find that information on Furnish Finder. You get an average contract rate. So you can get an idea of how much they're going to generate, how much they're going to generate for their accommodations. And then at that point, it's a negotiation. So I'm not going to speak to it. It's going to be very market dependent. And yeah, <laughs> there's that. But what I have found is you can really generate a higher rate if you're able to connect directly with the recruiter and with the hospital, if they're able to cover it themselves and the nurse still gets her really his or her really good, you know, rate of pay then that is definitely a pivot that you can make. So it's not, when it comes to midterm rental, it's not just about travel nurses. And that's something that I want everyone to understand. So hopefully that message comes across clearly. Okay, cash on cash return for midterm rentals. I like to keep my cash on cash return relatively close to my short-term rentals. And one of the biggest strategy that we leverage, and shh, I'm going to spill the tea, don't tell anyone, but Amanda Han, the tax strategist for Brandon Turner for Bigger Pockets. Who knows Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets? Brandon Turner's tax accountant is Amanda Hahn. That's his tax accountant and tax strategist. She and I are writing a book together. So I'm letting the cat out of the bag. So one of the biggest things that we leverage is taxes, okay? Taxes is like the hidden secret to leveraging your ROI and your cash on cash return, okay? So I know everyone's fighting over their 
little 1% rule. You got your 1% rule for your long-term rental, 2% rule or 3% rule for your short-term rental. Yeah, we're at like 80% to 200% cash on cash and gross ROI when we leverage our taxes. So we're doing cost segregation studies. We're getting 100% of our bonus depreciation. We're taking all of the passive losses that we can against our W-2 income. Members of our community have received over $100,000 worth of tax write-off due to the short-term rental loophole. I have been talking about this for weeks and weeks. I'm going to continue to talk about this. So we are co-authoring a book on short-term rentals and the tax loophole that you know higher income earners, medical professionals can take. Where you do not need to become a real estate professional, we just need you to prove material participation, which we are able to do within the program. So you're welcome. All right, next question. <laughs> Would you recommend to get into STR in another state? I live in Connecticut, which is not a vacation destination, unfortunately. You know what? It's possible. There are many individuals who launch in other states. I have someone in our community who lives in Hawaii and he launched a beautiful 13 bedroom home in Kissimmee near Disney. That is in a whole other state. That's like in a whole other like atmosphere. <laughs> so the reason he wanted to take, you know, take our program was because he already had a short-term rental in Hawaii, but going out of state, he knew he was going to need some support and need the systems to be in place to make sure he launches it correctly. And he dots all his I's and crosses all his T's. He has his, you know, operations team on board. He understands what he needs. He understands how to audit them even from out of state. He understands the automations that are going to be important. He understands his what he needs to create that boots on the ground. And so if you're going out of state, it's going to be really important you, that you understand what you need to do in order to launch it successfully. It is very feasible. We have another member in California who launched out of state. We have a member in Florida who launched two properties out of state. We have Another member who launched eight properties, all of which are out of state. She's in California. She was able to launch all eight properties out of state and not even in the same state. Florida, North Carolina, Kansas, Georgia, and so on and so forth. So if you're going out of state, you need to make sure your systems are in place. And why do people decide to launch out of state? The main reason I have seen individual launching out of state is because either there are some regulatory restraints or regulatory restrictions for them launching within their state, right? So I know that some locations are very much challenged California, for instance, is one that comes to mind, but there are others. And then there, there could be a financial constraint, right? So we know that you can get a better deal from a cost of entry perspective in the Southeast than 
in, on the West Coast, potentially, right? So those are really some reasons that I've seen individuals launch out of state. How do you choose your property and your location? What things are you looking for? Oh, that's a loaded question and I love it. So here is what I do. So the way I choose my property is based on a number of things. So when I first started off, I wanted to start in my own backyard to kind of get a feel and a gauge of what it would be like to set up a short-term rental. But further down the line, I wanted to go ahead and identify what other markets were viable options for short-term rentals. So for instance, one thing that I wanted to do is to identify properties that would be like really cost-effective, but yet on the other end, what is the ROI? What is their annual revenue in terms of what we can project that it would generate, right? So say your budget is 300,000, but you're wanting to make close to 100,000, right? So those are the levers that I was pulling when I first got started. I wanted to know which market existed that I can purchase a property for 300,000, yet generate about a six-figure income, okay? So that is my secret sauce. If I'm not going to generate six figures a year on a property, honestly, I'm not all that interested, right? I know the numbers have changed and I know interest rates are up, but that was my, like, that's my barometer because all of that work, <laughs> all of that work, right? I'm going to want something in return. I'm going to want it to be viable, okay? And so that's one thing that I'm looking at. I analyze the life out of numbers. I am a spreadsheet girl through and through. So I'm going to analyze that. Number two, I'm going to analyze regulatory restrictions as well as impending regulatory restrictions. So the next thing you want to look at is what are the municipality codes? What are the ordinances that are in place? And what are the ordinances that will be in place in the near future? And that is very important to find out not only what is in print, but what is in draft also, which is an exercise that I have everyone in our community conduct, is find out the regulatory restraints for a particular market. Number three, find out the health of the market. Is the market dying or thriving? All I hear is saturation, saturation, saturation will er, pull the brace because here's the deal. Saturation is a very scientific and economic term, okay? Saturation is really a scenario where we see an increase in the product. So more rentals, more rentals, but then a decrease in the revenue. So if overall you're in a market where there's a lot of properties, right? Compared year over year, last year to this year, there's a whole lot of problems. Say it, there's an increase in the number of units by 30% increase, right? So I want to know that. To me, that could mean two things. That could mean there's saturation or that could mean there's a demand. How do I know the difference? So the second component, there are two levers. There, I'm always about the levers. The second thing you're looking at, again, is revenue. Did my revenue increase by 30% also? right? Did the number of units increase by 30%? Did my revenue increase by 30%? If that is the case, then guess what? Then it's a stable market. It's a growing market. There's some demand, okay? However, if the number of properties increased by 30% and the revenue increased only by 10%, 
or increase only by 20%. It did not increase by 30% or more, then that tells me there might be some saturation there, okay? Because my revenue needs to increase as well. And so that's, you know, you want to look at that kind of seesaw effect. So if the number of properties increased by 30%, the revenue decreased by 10%, this is clearly a market that is dying, okay? So for sure, saturation is definitely something that you want to look at, but understand the definition. Is this saturation or is this demand? So those are the three components that I look at when I am looking at numbers or regulation for short-term rentals. But then there's a personal component as well, right? Each person that joins my community they come in with their different, a different goal or a different agenda, okay? And that's something that I want to make very clear in the very beginning. Are you purchasing a property that you absolutely need to be a cash flowing cash cow type of property? Or are you purchasing a property because you absolutely are in love with the location? This actual location has like sentimental value and you had great memories growing up and all you're wanting to do is make sure that any of the expenses that are incurred by you using your beloved property in your beloved location is covered by the rental revenue in between those times or is it a mix of both? Like you really want it to generate revenue, but you want to leverage it as a lifestyle asset as well that you get to use for a portion of the time. So those are three different types of investors. I have investor A, B, or C. Which one are you? Start to think about that. Which one are you? Because here's the deal. If you tell me, okay, I'm investor C, I absolutely love the location. Ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to own a property here. This is ski. It's got all the things that I've dreamt of. Don't come crying to me <laughs> after you've enjoyed your whole year in the property, but you're not getting the same ROI or cash on cash return as, you know, this other investor in that same, you know, market. Do not no, set your expectations. So for you, you're that individual who's looking for, you know, it's like a balance. You want to leverage this property for those, you know, intangible satisfaction. It's not just the money for you. It's a combination of a lifestyle asset that's being covered by, you know, the property being rented out. So the expenses are covered but you're getting to enjoy when you want to enjoy. Say you're, I have clients like this. They're in their sixties, they're in their seventies. They have worked their fingers to a bone their whole lives. And they just want this place by Disney so that their grandkids can enjoy it. Yes, I'm here for it. I am here for it. So let's look at that. But at the same time, understanding that you're not going to be generating like top ROI or from a monetary perspective, you're going to get a return on your investment from your warm and fuzzy feelings as well. So that is definitely very important to understand. <laughs> 
So how do you find corporate leads for long-term rentals? That's a great question. And that's a whole question right there. How do you find corporate leads for midterm rentals? The way we find corporate leads first and foremost, is really positioning the property to speak to two avatars, right? You want to speak to two avatars and those avatars or guest avatars are, you know, these families that are looking to move out of their home that has been destroyed or partially destroyed in a catastrophic event. And then the second avatar are the temporary housing agencies. You have to position your property to speak to those two avatars. And once the insurance temporary housing agency reaches out to you, here's the deal. You need to be ready. You need to be ready to negotiate and you need to be ready to present them, you know, a proposal that they're going to approve and you need to be ready because they're going to lowball you. So you need to be ready. You need to have your proposal in place. So we have a student that was a part of our of our workshop last week where I went through the blueprint from A to Z on exactly what happens on day one, day two, day three, and what do you say? Who are these people? How will they appear? Because everything you know about short-term rental, you're probably going to have to throw it out the window all of the never do this or never like do not do this or do not, you know, except third-party bookings. They only do third-party bookings, right? So everything that you know about STR, you might need to shove it out the window because the midterm rental avatar is totally different, okay? And so, and they're looking for specific things. However, there are two different amenities that they each need and that they're really looking for and they're willing to pay for. And so we make sure that we implement those within the property and within the unit. But overall, just putting your property out there, making sure that it is well equipped to serve this community is going to be super, super important. And then when they reach out to you, do not fumble the bag. A lot of you out here are fumbling the bag. I see you out here getting your information from other long-term rental hosts, getting your information from short-term rental hosts that are in vacation communities. Everything that they're doing, everything that we're doing in vacation rental communities, it's not all applicable to the midterm rental clientele. Okay. So do not fumble the bag. You want to make sure that you are addressing the temporary housing agency in a way that is going to get your proposal approved, okay? Because when I provide them a proposal asking them for $15,000, $17,000, $20,000 a month, how, like, seriously, how comfortable are you asking for those types of numbers? They sound outlandish. They sound outrageous, but here's the deal. And that's why I published that article in Bigger Pockets. My first time I got the great pleasure of serving this clientele, when they asked me for the monthly rate, they were telling me this is long-term rental. They kept trying to tell me it's long-term rental. I was thinking to myself, Ooh, it's long-term rental. And this was a property that we hadn't even planned on leveraging as a short-term rental right? or a mid-term rental. We're actually repositioning our portfolio. We're about to sell it when the insurance called asking about another property but that property was already booked and they asked, do you have any others? And I was like, oh, okay. I might have something else, but (laughs) what's the rate? And they said, you tell us what the rate is. 
guess what? My little naive self thinking, oh, long-term rental, long-term rental rent in that market was somewhere around like $1,800 a month, right? So I'm thinking, ooh, I want to charge double that, right? Because they're saying long-term rental, but it was a six-month contract initially. So I said $4,000 a month. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's like double. The mortgage was like $1,200, right? So I asked for $4,000 a month. And they're like, great. It was too fast. You know, you know when you're suspicious, you're like, yeah, that was too fast. I said, but wait, oh, did you say that you wanted to know the price with like utilities? I said, oh yeah, for utilities, that's going to be $5,000 a month. They said, great. And I said, oh, but wait, did you say that you wanted the rate locked in if you need to extend as well? They're like, yeah. And then I said, okay, it's 6,000 a month. They said, great. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, but wait, no, guys, it was bad. I said, oh, wait, did you say they have pets? And then I said, it was 7,000 a month. They said, great. I was like, but wait, peak season. What about peak season? (laughs) I think we got somewhere around eight or 9,000, eight or 9,000 a month. And they said, great. And then I just didn't have the heart to move on. But then That's when you start to ask yourself questions and be like, self, like, when would they say stop? (laughs) Like, you know? And so my journey started there. I wrote the article, it got published in Bigger Pockets. And then I started to do some heavy research to understand okay, what is the ceiling? What is the floor? Like, what, when do they say stop? And that's when I understood what the policy D, coverage D in their insurance policy mean, which is a percentage of the property value, the percentage of the dwelling space that is their allotment for short-term rental property. So they come at us and their allotment per claim could be anywhere from 80,000, 100,000, 150,000, $200,000 per claim. And so if they're going to be there for six months, you can divide that by six or 12 months, you divide it by 12. That is what the bag is, right? So there was still a ton of room for me to grow. And then in addition, since there's pets, the pet has their own, because here's the deal. The pet's not really part of the dwelling. That is you know, the boarding fees that are incurred through, you know, leveraging your local kennels and things like that. So although I will write up a proposal for 15, 18, 20K, I'm still the cheapest thing around. I'm still a good deal. So you go insurance, you go and rent out five bedrooms at the Hilton, four bedrooms at the Hilton, right? And then board some pets and see what that really costs. So that's really what I want to do at the workshop that we just had is to kind of give the members of our community that, I guess, that chutzpah to ask for the, you know, the price that they deem that stay is worth because they have deep pockets. I'm not asking the family who just went through a traumatic experience with their property for money. I'm asking insurance money. And Lord knows we've all been paying insurances for a very long time. So if you're an insurance person, don't come for me. I'm just like, like just as a priestess, I'm just out here preaching. (laughs) I love it. All right. Next question is, hi, I'm new to your group. Interested in STR for nurses and medical professionals. I absolutely love that. I was talking a little bit earlier about travel nurses 
and medical professionals, specifically travel nurses. I call travel nurses the mythical creature that everyone wants to serve, but sadly, they're like super frugal. So oftentimes you are not going to get the rate that you are looking for with the travel nurses. No offense, but that is the truth. And my sister's a travel nurse. I come from healthcare. I'm a pharmacist by training. So I know what it means to be so for now. If you have a product, say you have an ADU, like a Q accessory dwelling unit. Yes, that is a wonderful client for that type of property. If you have a one bedroom, say basement, and you're doing like a house hack method, I love me some house hacking too. That is a wonderful product for travel nurses. But if you have a whole house, like three or four bedroom houses, that's not going to work for a travel nurse. Yeah. That's not going to work for them. If you're going to have a, a bit of a larger home, because here's the deal, they want their privacy. They want a space where they can just, once they're off of work, they go decompress, watch their Netflix and they're out. So yeah, travel nurses are not necessarily wanting to share a space with other individuals. And so they like these studios. They love their one bedroom. They're in, they're out. They can pay market rent or lower and they're good to go. What is the asset that you're looking at for travel nurses? Is it a one bedroom? Is it a studio? Is it a two bedroom? What you got? Condo, multifamily units? Yep. That works. That'll work for a travel nurse as well, especially if it's like a one bedroom. Now, if you have a two bedroom and it's like almost dorm style, that might work too. Like two bed, two bath, that might work as well. Okay. So just know that travel nurses, they want their own space for the most part. And that's feedback specifically from travel nurses. And here's the reason why I'm adamant. I don't have anything about travel against travel nurses. Okay. I love them too. And here's why. When I launched my four bedroom house, <laughs> And a lot of stories I tell you guys, I tell you from a place of, yeah, I did that. <laughs> it didn't go well. So when I launched my four bedroom house and placed it on Furnish Finder, and I was looking for all the travel nurses, everybody, bring everybody, come and live together in this four bedroom house. Yeah, they quickly informed me. <laughs> No, but I did go and I saw feedback when like I got, I heard crickets from the travel nurse community. I said, why are you guys not booking my property? Don't come for me. I'm just, you know, and trying to be honest and trying to figure out how to make it better, how to make it appealing. Cause it was a luxury setup. The price point is too high for a bedroom who needs that. And so they course corrected me. So that is why I'm adamant about why travel nurses, they do not work for the assets that we have, but definitely if you have a one bedroom or a studio or a condo, a carriage house or accessory dwelling unit or a two bedroom basement or one bedroom basement, like that will work. That will work for sure for travelers. And so one of the, one of the places that you would list for a travel nurse is Furnish Finder. That's definitely a place that you would list. You would still list on your OTA, such as your Airbnb and Verbal as well, but Furnish Finder is where a lot of them are residing. When analyzing property for midterm rental, what numbers do you try to reach? As long as I am at least 3X my expenses, I feel like you, you have a good deal potentially. Okay. So I project three X, 
but I've been able to generate anywhere from six to 15 X our expenses. So three X is the bottom for me, even for midterm rentals. I like my midterm rentals to be, you know, at a little bit of a higher price at a higher rate than, than most. But again, I'm dealing with insurance. I know how to negotiate. I create safeguards for them to continue to be able to extend their stay. So they'll start off with like a month for the most part, but then they'll need an extension and then another extension. And then, so I create a, an environment for them where the convenience factor is there, right? So like most other individuals who may have onesies or twosies and bookings, right? So all these bookings, And then when their insurance guest wants to extend, okay, you need to know how much does it take? What's the timeline if there's water damage versus what's the timeline if there's fire damage? There's two different timelines. So conversation, the first thing I hear is if there's water damage, I know that's going to be an estimated you know, number of months versus water damage. That's going to be an estimated number of months. And it's half, right? So water damage gets repaired and half the time is fire damage in most markets. And so I'm calculating that. So already I know my expectation. So I know if it's one of those, it might be a four month stay. It might be an eight month stay. It might be a six month stay. I'm going to go ahead and block my calendar for six months or for eight months, right? They're asking you for one month. They're asking you for one month, but I know with my experience, nope, this is going to be an 11 month project, an eight month project based on my experience. And so that's something we were teaching in the workshop a couple of weeks ago is here's how long it takes to repair water damage on average, this range, and here's this range for fire damage. So I go ahead and block out my calendar, even though they want one month, I'll block it out for now for you know a number of months cuz i rather have those extensions at those higher rates for a longer term than you know these onesies and twosies cuz once you start booking they won't be able to extend when you buy a property for str would you advise to buy a property already renovated or do you advise to renovate it yourself how much is it usually to furnish five bedroom luxury home okay love that When I'm buying a five bedroom or any property, I want it to be close to ready to go because I need the first month's mortgage to be paid by my guests, just saying. So I may need a little bit of work, but not too much work. Like when it's like pristine, brand new, you're going to pay top dollar, but I prefer it to be, you know, it needs a little bit of pain. It needs a little bit of, you know, carpet to be removed. We remove all of our carpet because we're pet friendly. It needs a little something. Then I have an opportunity to negotiate to get a better deal than market rent. Okay. So I prefer it to need a little bit of work. How much is it usually to furnish a five bedroom luxury? It depends on the level of furnishings and it depends on like how you're able to procure your deals. Okay. So there, there are builders within a lot of the communities where my members are that, for instance, say it's like a Lonar home or it's a, what are some other big, like D.H. Horton or whatever, right? So whenever they're done building their homes in a community, right? Those one, like property one, two, or three that are the model homes. <laughs> I'm spilling the tea. I'm giving you guys the tea. Property one, two, or three that are the model homes. They auction all of those furnishings 
And so oftentimes I'm on those lists and I have all those members of our community just join those lists so that they can go and buy properties. They can go and buy the furnishings from those auctions because those are well-designed. Those have local designers that kind of put those packages together. So that's one hack. But in general, it costs anywhere from, I want to say $3,000 per bedroom if you're going to go kind of basic to about $25 per square foot if you're going to go higher end and as well as almost white glove, okay? So a part of our community, we work with, you know, William Sonoma, all of those. William Sonoma, Pottery Barn, Standard Textile, Brooklinen. So all of those companies, we're affiliates with them within, you know, our mastermind. And so they have a white glove service. If you purchase through their package, they'll come deliver, set up everything for you. So I think having that affiliate is great. And the other portion that we have available, which is a great upsell when our guests have an amazing experience, they say, oh my gosh, this mattress is the bomb. I want to sleep on this mattress. I need this mattress in my life. There's like an elegantly placed QR code that they can order the mattress that gets delivered to their home, a brand new one. And then you get a percentage like 30%. So that's part of our upselling strategy, our passive income strategy. Because remember guys, remember my mantra is how do I own and operate the fewest number of properties that generates the highest profitability, right? How do we own and operate the fewest number of properties that generates the highest profitability? You have to squeeze the juice out of each property. And that is through also offerings within said property. All you need is one or two to be wildly profitable. All you need is one or two really well-positioned properties to change your whole life, right? We're not going to buy 10 meh properties. We're not going to buy 10 meh doors, right? You don't need 10 doors, you need one or two properties that are well positioned. And then once you have those one or two properties, you set it up so well, and then you continue to drive the value within that property. Imagine they like the snacks that you're offering. There's a QR code, they can order it, and then it delivers to their home. You have nothing to do with it. You have a store set up. That is part of what we offer within the program. We have the setup so that you, they can shop your property. Because imagine this, your property as a short-term rental gets so many eyes. You know how they say influencer market? Your property is an influencer, right? Everyone who sleeps and experiences your property, if they have a good experience, if they love the sheets, if they love the pillow, if they love the mattress, all of those are revenue generating items within your property, within your business. And at that point, it is passive income within your property because you can set it up that way so that you're generating revenue whenever your guest has a great experience. And then you have nothing to do with, you know, the shipping of the item. Everything is like beautifully labeled and then, you know, they can enjoy it in their own home if they want. Can you propose an increase in the rates when extending a contract or would that look bad? That would look so bad if you propose an increase in the rate. And so part of the reason you're proposing an increase from the front end is you want to guarantee them that you're not going to increase on the back end. That would look bad, honestly. So I wouldn't do it. 
if you have to, if you're like, okay, I am operating at a total loss. So be it, you know, looking bad at that point doesn't matter because you're just trying to, you know, make sure that you're not operating at a loss, but go in the front end with all of your documentation. They're going to ask you for one month, right? But you already know because it's this type of disaster, how many months we teach that in the workshop, it's going to be eight months. So in eight months, now we're in July. Now we're August. Those are the months where I'm making my top revenue. You want to load that on the front end. You said, no, I'm not going to, you know, be down at this lower rate in July, my peak season, for instance, right? I want to still recapture or capture the revenue that I could have made in July. I'm going to give you a flat rate. We're not going to increase. And then you have a number you're comfortable with, even if it's peak season, it still works. It works out either way. So know your number ahead of time. We actually spreadsheeted the life out of it. We have about seven key data points that we look at to create that number. And we do an average of all of those numbers. And that's what we present on our proposal. So do not let them lowball you. Do not go back asking for a higher rate. That is not going to be, that's not going to be ideal because ultimately you want an ongoing relationship. You want to make sure you're listed inside of their internet platform. And then you want an ongoing relationship with them. For the luxury STR, who is the target audience? What is considered a luxury property? Awesome. Great question. So that luxury STR is that individual or that family who is set apart from the environmental changes. You know, everyone's crying, recession, higher interest rates. When you have the ultra wealthy or the wealthy, those individuals. One thing they're not going to, and I always get this word wrong, is it scrimp, skimp, scrimp. One thing they're not scrimping on, that sounds weird, is their travel. They're going to travel. They're going to travel. They are going to travel. And so that is who we're catering to when it comes to the vacation rental market. Luxury travelers, they want to continue to enjoy that part of their lives. However, when it comes to our midterm rental market, we are catering to those who live in higher end homes who are displaced from their property, right? If they're displaced from their property for four months, eight months, 11 months, due to some type of catastrophic event that has occurred, fire, water damage, a tree split their house in half, which is a true story, guess what? They need a place to stay. And according to the insurers, they have to keep them within the same standard of living. That is who we're catering to. So what makes, what is it considered a luxury property? It depends. That's going to be very market dependent. And so like, if you go to France, the luxury villa or the chalet is going to be somewhere around, you know, $30,000 a week. So there's a price point you know, that demands that luxury property, I guess, category. And then there are other attributes. So what I spoke about a little bit earlier was the three C's of luxury travel. 
What they're looking for is not necessarily the accumulation of things. As a matter of fact, the more toxic, the more junky, the more like overwhelming it can be. When it comes to luxury, you have a well-designed property, clean lines. It's going to be very much streamlined. It could be modern. It could have a different theme, Scandinavian, French country. It just depends on the market, the way it is designed, the way it is set up. But really the luxury traveler is looking to live like a local, is looking for stellar guest communication as well as convenience. And that's done typically through automation, the way the property is set up. We know the default travel bed for the luxury traveler is a king size bed. But outside of that, the only thing that would preclude a property from being marketed as a luxury property, and you wouldn't be able to change anything about that, is the whole vibe in the neighborhood. Like as you're entering that location or driving into the neighborhood, is there that feeling of like the tension of, you know, I'm scared. <laughs> Like, am I in the hood in Miami, like where I'm from? Or is it more, you know, is everything well kept? Uh, is there a curb appeal? Are the lawns well maintained? You know, are there, there's definitely that component there as well. So for luxury, it is not, it doesn't have to break the bank to attain luxury. Ultra luxury is different. Ultra luxury is when I'm dialing in the private pilot, the private chef, the butler, tennis lessons, all of that. So that's ultra luxury when you have a full concierge service, but luxury, you can definitely leverage luxury without breaking the bank for sure. What do insurance companies like to see in properties Oh, or in the proposals? So as far as the proposals, you know, they have certain things that they're just asking for. They want to know what you're requesting for your pricing. And let's see, you want to outline what is included as well. For instance, is lawn care included? They just want to see the breakdown. Is everything all-inclusive? All-inclusive really makes their lives a whole lot easier. So they tend to like all-inclusive, but once in a while, it depends on who the adjuster is. Once in a while, they may ask you to go ahead and like itemize certain items if in fact, you know, the adjuster wants to see them itemized. Okay. So the insurance temporary housing agency, when it comes to the terms or your proposal of the term, they want to know, they want to make sure that you mention, you know, if that's discussed, if that's agreed upon, that you are locking in that monthly rate, you're locking it in. They want to know if there's a pet fee included. They want to know if lawn maintenance is included. They want to know, you want to write down the start date. You want to write down the end date, the term. You want to write down whether or not extending is at the same rate, you know, yes or no. So those are some of the things. Are utilities included? What are the utilities? Oh, don't forget about internet. You know, is that included? Is that not included? That kind of thing. You want to let them know a line item for cleaning fees. So typically you'll add like one cleaning on there, right? But I roll in, I require a monthly cleaning for our properties. Not going to lie. I'm not going to turn this into one of those long-term rental situations when, you know, the lease is up 11 months from now and you got to do a whole gut job, right? 
So I didn't go into short-term rentals to have to gut my short-term rental. So we, we have the cleaners come in at least once a month. Okay. So those are some of the things and all of those templates I include in the workshop as well. Is there a place to go to find private chefs on demand? Oh, that's a great question. I think Bark may be a place. And also, I know someone was asking in finding security as well. Bark is bark.com, that app is a place as well. But I like using local influencer chefs to my area to kind of make those introductions and let them know what it is that I'm doing, kind of create those relationships. So that's it, guys. I really hope this was insightful, but this is what we do. If you are interested in learning more, you know, to get the short-term rental, you know, off the floor, your midterm rental off the floor, please do not hesitate to reach out. So we're looking for freedom, not only financial freedom, but time freedom, right? We don't need 10 doors. We don't need 20 doors. We just need one or two well-positioned doors to be wildly profitable because you know what Warren Buffett said, if you don't find a way to make money while you sleep, you will work until you die. And so I want to share that with you. How do you make money while you sleep? It's leveraging, you know, two highly profitable properties. Start off with one. That's how we started. And then we grew and that's how we landed ourselves on Netflix. And so I hope this was inspiring. I hope that you got something out of this. Thank you so much for joining me. I so appreciate you and I value and I will see you next week.